Kia ora Fano. Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation brought to you by Stratus, the most affordable alternative to smoking. Yes, if you are kissing a smoker, you need them to stop. It tastes disgusting. It is disgusting. Stratus is something that will help them stop smoking. You should buy it for them. If you want to find out how to buy it, vaporium.nz is the place to go. It is a hassle-free, reliable, compact pod kit. And the uh, the genius is there's a little bit of nicotine in the pods, which means that actually helps with the nicotine cravings, which helps them get off smoking, which means a healthier choice for that person to make personally. Hey, um, welcome back again to the podcast. Thanks for joining us again, uh, another edition. And uh, we've got a lot of interesting things coming up in the next week or so, including... Uh, going to have our first in real life podcast next week since pre-COVID gosh I think I've done about 35 36 podcasts on Zoom uh, and next week I'm going to be facing someone it's a bit of a scary thought actually but that'll be happening next week we'll give you some more details as to who's coming up next week at the end of the podcast so stick around for that but until now uh, I'd love you to uh, have a listen to Brooke Howard Smith Brooke Howard Smith incredibly interesting chap Uh, we didn't actually get into this in the conversation but did you know he won an X medal X Games medal Uh, he was a bit of a skater back in the day and then he turned that into a broadcasting career and he's turned that into an entrepreneurial ship where he's does all sorts of really interesting things at the moment and we find out more about it as we chat to him for a for an hour and a bit here is brooke howard smith and we're live with brooke howard smith g'day brooke how you man my good people of the universe <laughs> hey um the the beard is a is a good look i do you know i have to admit you know you, you've been around for a, for a for a good while I remember all your TV days, and I remember you joining more FM Auckland team and that sort of stuff back in the day. Um, but you seem to have been rocking the, you know, the goatee for a very long time. It seems to have been part of the look for quite a long time. Yeah, I was kind of almost like a, a '90s time capsule. You know, <laughs> I rolled the blade, I had a, a goatee. Um, I was pretty tight with the feelers. All of that kind of hinted that I was frozen in kind of like the 90s, early 2000s. And then lockdown came along and the wife let me grow this. <laughs> it's like, it's, it, you'll excuse the pun, it's shaved like 20 minutes off every morning. Right. It's um, it's Can I just say it's a good look? And I know, see my thing here, my thing here has been going for a bit. I haven't, I go to the barbers once a month and uh, the last time I went was level two and they weren't allowed to do the front of your face so they only did the clip on the side sort of thing so the sad thing yeah i haven't been back since we've been down to level one where they'll be able to do it properly but the sad thing for me is that whilst this looks quite long this is two years my hair grows Mm. really slowly i look at yours and i think holy crap you'd be you'd be at this after like four months whereas this for me is basically two years of growth and i i keep kind of going at this because it go, gets getting out of control firstly this is my first like beard com i feel like i'm in a club good like i've joined this club and we're talking about beards um but here's a word of warning this might be me growing a beard might be like when john key planked remember planking was going just fine <laughs> john key did it in his own. so you might you might there are people watching this right now who are going well i guess i gotta lose the beard now and let yeah. me let me ask you this: what 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 does the wife think? Because I've I've experienced uh, 
my girlfriend, um, I, I actually said to her, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to grow my beard. She's like, oh, we'll do whatever you want. You know, it's fine. And now it's like, no, no, don't shave your beard off. It's like a, something that is, is something that is really light. How does the, how does, how does uh, Mrs. Howard Smith, Ms. Peebles uh, react to it? Yeah, she likes, I mean, she likes it. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it might even, it's time capsule. We really enjoyed lockdown. I know that's annoying for people that didn't. I, you know, I've got this guilt in sharing that, but I loved it. And so this is kind of, it's the, it's the last remaining kind of fragment of lockdown. Everything is going back to normal. Um, except for this. So yeah, so she's good with it, man. Nice. And then lockdown. So look, I'm a bit the same. I, I, uh, I don't say I enjoyed lockdown necessarily, but I got a lot done during lockdown. I um, worked and did like 30 podcasts because, of course, everyone was at home. And so lots of people yeah. to talk to. And, and we started this sort of, because up until pre-lockdown, we'd only been doing in real life podcasts. We hadn't done anything mm. on the internet except for one, which was after the Christchurch massacre. We talked to a former, an ex-white supremacist from America. And we just thought that was good enough wow. to kind of get a get on Skype. So that had all been all we'd ever done. And now we're doing this on a regular basis. In fact, next week, Ben Hurley is in town. And he's going to be my first in-studio podcast yeah. since pre-lockdown. Which is it's kind of a bit of a weird scenario, actually. It's going to be, I wonder if it's going to be like talking to someone in real life again. <laughs> in real life, like having them in that proximity. Yeah. It, it is interesting how easy it is now. Like I've, I've done like two in real life meetings since lockdown. So people are just really comfortable with uh, with Zoom and video. and It's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I've moved my studio home. So I'm now, and this is my house. Um, I was in a studio I like what you're town. doing. In the, it's even I better. like what you're doing in the background there. It looks very rustic. Yep, looks great. Yep, yep. I've got an. I've got a second studio. Uh, where, where's my little buttons here? I can control stuff from here. So I've got a second studio over there. That's the opposite. Oh. That's the opposite side of the room, and we do other uh, podcasts for other people over there. The reason it's flared out is I've got the doors open because I'm not using that side over there at the moment. This is looking. That's over there. That other second set, and other people use that for podcasting. And yeah, I've brought it all home, so it's good fun. I'm going to take your word for it. I, mean, I have no idea. That looks incredible. That looks like what great setup, man. Yeah. yeah I've yeah. got, um, actually, I can't show you. It's a bit of a mess around here, but this <laughs> is, I'm coming from home. Um, so kind of a work from home moment for me. Yeah. And tell us, uh, you are probably best known to New Zealand as, um, you know, various television shows. What was that one called? Shouty the... Target. Shouty hand waving from Target. Yeah. So that was it's funny. It's funny how many people, when I say, "Oh, you know, Brooke Howard's with her," they, they they still reference Target. That's still like the place they go to. But you had you've done numerous television shows, including when you part of the All Blacks was a two thousand and seven TV three coverage or something in France. That must have yeah, been a fucking I mean, blast. I mean, that what a champagne year for the Rugby World Cup. Me hosting <laughs> and a performance in the quarterfinals. It's like most people have just they've erased that entire 2007 World Cup from their memory. <laughs> but what an experience! I mean, when you're over there, oh, awesome. when are you you were you were over there doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So what happens? Great. So we what what happens for a broadcaster who's not really the commentator on the day necessarily? How much downtime do you have in France for Rugby World Cup 2007? How much downtime is there versus how much work time is there? Oh, man, we were – because we were roaming around doing those, like, little interest, interest stories, like backgrounds on the stadiums right. or going to little towns and, you know, finding out pa pa how passionate the, the French were. And then we were – like, we were, it was all, you know, gearing up to this this road to the uh, 
road to the semi-finals and finals. And the, the day, I was working reasonably hard, but the day before the quarterfinal in Cardiff, they pulled me in, they were like, you know, listen, we're going to put you on. I was on England Samoa, they're going to put you on the All Blacks. I went in and I talked to the All Blacks, it was like the big break. And then of course, that the, the game happened. October 6, 2007, I know, because it was my birthday. Wow. I planned a party in Cardiff. Oh. And obviously <laughs> it was just, you know, there was just like, there were like 30,000 crying New Zealanders wandering the streets aimlessly. So, um, and then we all got fired the next day. I mean, not fired, <laughs> but like immediately employable, I think, the next day. So because that was a, so, so you guys all, so you basically, the coverage ceased after we lost. It was even like the TV network went, let's just pretend this never happened. Like, well, let's, let's... Oh, it was crazy. I mean, yeah, they cut they cut the staff, obviously, because wow. immediately no one had, no, and oh, shit, I'm probably talking a little bit out of school here, but I don't think anyone had calculated in the revenue streams the All Blacks not being in the quarterfinals or the semifinals and the, in the finals. Right. And so immediately they're like, you're on a holiday. Um, and, you know, it was it, it took everyone by surprise. I know that they, they did like a replay immediately after the game and they hosted that McRoberts and a couple other people hosting from on top of this this thing right near the Luck de Triomphe. And, and they'd do it like a cold intro like the game hadn't happened yet. Right. Like it was just happening after the game. And you couldn't hear Mike because the French were all singing and there were horns going <laughs> off in celebrations. In the background. And so you're, you're like, there was a really good indication that the game didn't go the way it was supposed to go if you stayed for that replay. <laughs> but then, yeah, they cut it down to a really a small team of people to watch. And I don't Does anyone remember what happened from there? No. Really. But you know what? I haven't. I, I was looking at. I had um, whatever the frick Sky, not Sky Sport, uh, Spark Sport is called these days. I had it for the Rugby World Cup last year. And we did a few podcasts down here called ABs Watching the ABs. So I'd have like Case yeah. Muse came in and we watched the South African game. And then uh, Josh Iwani came in and we watched another game. So we brought, we podcasted live while the games are on. Um, and I was saying then, oh, you know, I'd. Just statistically speaking, if three three cycles ago you you asked, will the All Blacks win three in a row? You would have said, no, there's no chance they can win three in a row. So I was like, statistically speaking, we're probably not that likely to win this. And then we didn't win it. And I was just thinking, uh, just last night, actually, I still haven't watched that playoff for third, fourth. So I haven't what? seen that All Blacks game. I just couldn't. I was like, I mean, I'm not like one of these guys. You know, the worst case scenario is you hear that things like um, – what do you call it? You know, violence in the homes and stuff goes up when All Blacks games lose, which is terrible. So that's one spectrum. The other spectrum is people who go, oh, was there an All Blacks game today? You know, I'm somewhere in, yeah. the, in the healthy middle range from those two extremes. Yeah. So it wasn't a big deal, but I still haven't watched that game. Um, so it was like for me after that game for the recent one that just who knows what happened after that. I was I was in the kind of camp where um, – uh, Sir Khaleesi, the, the South African captain, the Springbok captain. I was just such a massive fan of that story. And, you know, it's kind of interesting if you look back on the 95 Rugby World Cup and if you've watched Invictus or, yep. you know, you start rooting for the South Africans in that movie. You're like, wait a second, what am I doing here? But I think that, um, you know, and again, I just love that story, you know, coming out of where he came from, uniting a country, and obviously how important that was to have, you know, black South African captain win the World Cup. Freaking awesome. And then when you find out that Erasmus was going through chemo in Japan 
when it was happening and what the fact that they were doing it for this amazing guy. Like, that's an incredible story. And I think Erasmus is a part of both of them. It's a really, so now, so I, I was, became quite a fan for like two weeks. And now yeah. Instagram, for some reason, thinks I'm a Springbok fan. It right. just keeps feeding me. It's awful. <laughs> As so I, I like Bill Tong. That's it. Instagram, he's up on the Springboks. So once you, what is the once you turn green and gold, you never turn back. Is that what the old saying is? Something like that. I can't remember what the saying is. I mean, we're probably we're probably boring people with our, our sports talk, but I want here's a mystery for you guys for that. Send it out to the, the the world, the internet ether. Green and gold, or green and yellow. You know, cricket has like eight playing nations. Yep. And I think four of them have green and yellow as their color. color. Why? Why is green and yellow so popular in sports? It makes no sense at all. Mm. Does that isn't that insane? So Australia, South Africa, Pakistan, yeah, and there's a Bangladesh, and there's Bangladesh as well. Sri Lanka's blue. Bangladesh is more maroon. Isn't that more maroon? Not Sri Lanka. So no, it's 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 South Africa, Australia, yeah, Pakistan, and one more. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I mean, long story short, I, was, I don't know why. It seems kind of weird. I was just thinking as we were talking about looking at uh, looking at my logo there, green and gold. Look at that right there, green and gold, DOC. So, traitor. Just a traitor. <laughs> well, actually, it's because obviously we're playing on the Department of uh, Conservation and they're green and gold, and so we thought. No, I mean, I mean, sorry, it's not a copyright there. We're just, there's no reason. <laughs> No, it's just, a, it's just a coincidence. The only thing I can tell you is that your funding may have been cut recently, if yeah, that's the case. I reckon. So, yes. so lockdown was okay for you. Lockdown was was yep. was good. Um, you are someone who has not been seen around in the broadcasting world for the last few years. So what have you been up to? I was – because I was, I was kind of – like when I was producing and presenting TV, it was awesome. I enjoyed it. Um, Target was really interesting because it was kind of this – Show if I showed up at someone's like garage, it was like the worst day of their life. Yeah, so for then, sure. you know, that's it's an interesting vocation to have. If I show up at your place, you're like, oh crap, man, I've probably lost my job. And so it was all like, I love championing people that were downtrodden. Like, so if there was a, a someone that was being ripped off by a big power company, that was awesome. Yeah, but I didn't like the fact that if someone's like worst moment of their worst day of the you know happened to be I was involved in, and and at the same time, Christchurch. The earthquake happened in Christchurch and like a lot of Kiwis, specifically Aucklanders, people that were removed, I was like, felt pretty helpless, mm-hmm. put out a post on social media that said, surely it's a good time for a, a nationwide telethon. And then that kind of took off, got its, got momentum. And from there on in, I got really, once the telethon happened, I got really hooked on this idea of um, national endeavours. Like I've always been fascinated with getting the country together, getting them kind of rallied behind some kind of positive thing and then acting on it. Yeah. And so there wasn't any time for busting knicker sniffers from there on in. And then we had that really crazy one. There was this, like, and I, some people watching will know, like the guy that like three times in 45 minutes, he kind of he finished three times in 45 minutes. And we, we aired it at 7.30 and a whole bunch of the team were like, is this really what we want our legacy to be? Do we really want to just be like springing masturbating tradies and we like that's on our tombstone and we ended it there? That, that's it's really interesting. Uh, I remember, um, I mean, I'll say everybody, most people know Joe Rogan. If they don't know him now, they know him from back in the Fear Factor days. 
he came back and did a second series of Fear Factory. He started the second series. Like, when I mean second series, second run. You know, it stopped. He came back. And he said he realized it wasn't for him when the contestants were eating donkey cum. So it was like, he goes, I, th- I think we're done. I think I'm done with this. This is not what I want to be involved with. So, you know, it's not it's not an uncommon story, but it's interesting to know. It's interesting to know two things. When someone gets to that point, because maybe if you were 20 or 19 or 18, you'd think it was hilarious. But when either someone gets to a point where they go, you know, I think I'm past this, or when something it's happens, always- when something happens so vile that no matter where you are in life, it's too far. You know, whichever one of those two things it is. I mean, it's always donkey karma. That's that is the jumping the shark moment for any TV show. They did that in, in Jackass as well. One of the guys drunk. Oh no, it was horse cum. One of them drunk. Dunk, it was Steve-O, oh. drunk horse cum, and he actually said on camera, and I wonder if he was being truthful. Um, you know, I think I finally embarrassed my dad. And I'm like, Christ, if you if you got to go that far to embarrass your dad, but there you go. Well, it's a pretty pretty awful period, and um, it's a pretty awful period, like. We are kind of at end of times now. I think I, I personally believe we're in Rome, like 120 AD right now. But, right. Um, Jackass has a lot to do with that. I think if you you could pin it on a few people, the Kardashians are definitely in there. But Jackass have, have a lot to answer for as well. Well, that's yeah, actually it's a really interesting point. I mean, you're someone who's involved in producing, but also presenting television. Um, you know, I occasionally I don't really watch television. As when I say when I say I don't watch television, what I mean is I don't sit down and watch broadcast TV with ads in it. You know, I watch stuff online. I I, I keep up with what's going on. I find programs I like and I and I on demand them. Uh, but when I do, you know, everyone gets there. It's a Friday night and you just feel like blowing out, or it's a Saturday afternoon. And it's raining. And you flick around, and you occasionally come across these programs. Oh, I I came across one the other day, and it might be called something like The Naked Truth. I might be wrong with that. We're, literal, we're yeah, literally, yeah. the contestant gets to see these people naked from the feet up. And like, like every, you know, naked. And I'm just like, and then the end of it is, if it's a, if it's a woman contestant, she gets, so she sees their legs and then she sees their dick and then she sees their torso and then she sees their face over the series and she eliminates one each time. And at the end of it, she gets naked and they're both standing there naked on the, and I'm just like, where, what planet are we on? Where have we got to what? that this is now... This is now not, you know, they talk in the UK about the watershed hour, but this is now actually not on some kind of, you know, pay for, you know, Sky One back in the day, 11pm on a Friday night with the dirty shows. Where where have we got to? How's it got there? Yeah, and I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily one that believes in this this reflex prude culture, but it is it's, it is an indication of how the, the, the tail is wagging the dog in terms of just how do we get people in front of this thing? And then, okay, right, now... I mean, anyways, it's I, a, while, a while back we used to have this game at TV3 where we'd try to pitch the worst show to the execs and right. see if they could like this. TV execs are notorious for like placating you and kind of going, hmm. So, okay, <laughs> I, you, know, you know, they're notorious for like pretending that it's a decent show idea. Yeah. And so we'd come up and, you know, and, and what we, we realized is that all you needed to do was think of the worst, most awful TV show idea. And then you could build a 10-year timeline where you could get there. You know, so we built oh, wow. one We built one called Monkey Business that we pitched them where we were like, so you take a monkey, like a chimpanzee, and you take someone writes in and they says, I bet you a chimpanzee can't do my job. And then you train the chimpanzee. If the chimpanzee can do your job, then, then you lose your job. And if it can't, then you win some money. And the TV exec was like, now... 
I know chimpanzees are quite violent, so <laughs> is it possible? And then, you know, they're kind of humoring us. But the worst thing is, monkey business, you could sell that yeah, show. you probably um, could. They will rip someone's arm off. I'll give you one more. And this, if you're a TV exec watching this, Sue Woodfield, <laughs> Andrew Shaw, if you're watching this right now, this is called uh, Murder or Millionaire. So it's basically The Bachelor, um, but half of the contestants are convicted felons <laughs> out on my daily, and half of the contestants are millionaires. And you met the, the, the girl kind of goes through there. No one knows until the end. And then she's like, Congrat-, the person like, congratulations, you've married. You know, Charles murdered his wife and kids in 1996. Um, anyways, that's a good show. I think that's going to get picked up. There's a, a, or you could do some kind of hybrid where they're where they're both murderers and millionaires, so maybe they're maybe, maybe they're all millionaires, but they also have some significant felony against their name as well. But you're you're four times more likely to find a sociopath in Wall Street than you are on Main Street. So, wow! You know, in terms of sociopathic behaviour. It, it lends itself well to business success. There seem to be this. That's, that's our segue into our left wing agenda, by the way, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there did seem to be a trajectory of uh, reality TV where the contestants were being taken advantage of more and more and more. And they were the ones that were the, the brunt of the. You know whether it was a, you know, it probably started with Survivor and 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 help. They put them through physical torture, and then there was the fear factor where they were eating donkey coming. And I remember the one I think it was called. There's something about Miriam, where she was yeah, right, she yeah. was uh, she was what they'd say today, which was a a, a, um, a, a I guess a, a transgender female. Um, they, yeah, I, I think they ref- I think. I think they referred to her as a transvestite or a transsexual in the day, but now would be transgender and still had um, some male anatomy parts. And I think that that never aired, but some things have leaked out on oh, the internet. Oh, it did 100% aired. Oh, did aired? 100% aired. And I think that was the moment where I think there was lawsuits from the contestants, and I think that was finally the the moment where that was the point where I think TV studios maybe stopped Let's see how far we can take the contestants. And now it's more like, let's see how far, see how far we can take the content. It's more about the audience. What can we do to the audience? Like, let's show the audience these naked people. But at least the people go into that fully aware they're going to be naked on stage. Yeah, I mean, although that, like Love Island now, I mean, there's been a series of, if you look at, um, I can't remember the English host's name in Love Island, there's been a series of suicides in the UK. And so, you know, I'm, yeah. I mean, again, just if you're wondering where you are, if you're a little bit dazed and confused, just we're just, I can't remember who followed Caligula, but we're like, <laughs> we're at, we're around Caligula whenever that was. And then we're just coming into the next phase. So speaking of left-wing agendas, uh, do you keep an eye on what's going on? <laughs> do you keep an eye on what's going on in America at the moment? Is that something that, you, that interests you? Are you, are you sure. down with the political world? Sure. Yeah, I really, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I'm surprised you haven't seen my left-wing rants. Um, uh, yeah. Check this out. I had a look at this today, right? You can see this. People who are listening to us won't see this. This is uh, coronavirus in America at the moment, and you'll see when I push play, for people who are watching, you'll see people who are listening. It's a it's an interactive graph where the hotspots were. You see up in New York, there were the hotspots in that, and then everyone complained and said, let us out, let us out, let us out. So they let people out, and now you have a look in the uh, in the southeast, what's happening. And ironically, it's, it's, all, those, it's all those Trump states that are now going through the roof with uh, 
with, well, it's not all the Trump states, but it's majority of those Trump states that are going through the roof with coronavirus. Um, I saw a tweet from someone today about uh, poor old David Clark, my local MP, actually, um, saying, uh, I wonder if David Clark's busy asking for a friend. This is America speaking. Asking for a friend. Can we have David Clark over here? Because, yeah, no, even though we enjoyed lockdown, some of us, and we did work during lockdown, I'm pretty freaking happy to be able to go to the Crusaders-Highlanders game on Saturday night and sit in a crowd of 30,000 people. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, hey, are you gonna? Are, are you allowed to? And these things ask if you'd vote for your local MP again. Um, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, you can ask that. Uh, I the the honest answer is I don't know. Um, it's probably one of those things where it's a bit irrelevant for me because I think last time around he got about a twelve thousand majority. So my local MP votes. I, I my local MP vote really is less is less likely. I'm definitely a a left wing voter. Um, I'm. I'm really fascinated with this year's election. I'm more fascinated with this year's election than than most. And normally for me, with the American election in the same year, the American election would normally take more of my focus because I am honestly probably more interested in American politics than New Zealand. But I'm fascinated to see whether um, Labour can get over 50%. That's going to be incredibly fascinating. I, I think. I think speaking kind of... Logically, they won't because it's never happened before, so the odds are against them. But you know they're polling around 58, 59%. I wonder if they've had some internal polling that's that's dropped their number quite a bit because David Clark was pushed out the door pretty quickly. And I wonder if with uh, his by, by pretty quickly, you mean in the last the last kind of. The last part of it, because that was like support, support. It was like support him. We support him. We support him. It's the wrong time for him to move. We support him. He's gone, you know. And and I, I wonder if they've seen some polling or something. And with his allegedly throwing Bloomfield under the bus and all that sort of stuff, I wonder if that affected their polling. And that's the reason he's been forced to step aside. I don't know. That was it. Was was pretty universal. The kind of people weren't. And I understand that there were context issues with the video, but. The goal, I guess, and this is me, someone who constantly gets in trouble, which is why I'm not a politician. I love politics, but I'm, you know, I'd be a disaster. But you have to be able to avoid being put in a situation where someone can take something out of context like that and then make something yeah. of it. So he's really, I'm sure he's an excellent man uh, and an exceptional uh, politician in certain ways, but he's certainly failed in understanding context and um, and how to gain kind of a public a public following and backing. Well, especially as the health minister. I mean, if he was a backbencher, if he was an electorate MP and he went to the beach during lockdown, so be it. But when he's when he and his um his um department is in front of the cameras every day going, We're okay, New Zealand, we're all part of a team, and he's off to the beach, you kinda of go, it's it's just you know, perception is reality. And his perception caused people to put a reality on him in a certain way, unfortunately, which I think was untenable long term. Yeah, I'm just I I totally believe in like in New Zealand's love for accountability. Like that's that's the biggest if you asked anyone from any part of the spectrum what they wanted was just constant at every point just to go, I've stuffed up. And um and unfortunately it's not a part of he potentially was given poor advice. Yeah. So a lot of the times PR people will tell you, you know, you need to kind of just push through and ignore it and it will go away. But in the in this particular time when everyone was being held to such strong account, that's the that is the bar that they set for everyone. So yeah. And I used to I would be saying to people, you know, David Clark going to the beach with his family for a walk is gonna do nothing. But the reality is if 
everyone did it, then there'd be an outbreak. And so in other words, because sure. everyone couldn't do it, one person couldn't do it. Um, and so I, I just think it was there, there wasn't wise manoeuvres made. And yeah, I think his position and a couple of blah, like the he did the mountain biking one as well. The irony is I know where he lives and I know where the mountain biking track is, and it is actually in his backyard. But because he had to kind of drive to the bottom of it, again, it's perception. And I, it's just, yeah, it's not smart, eh? It's not smart. I, I, I think that... <laughs> I think PR is far more. I think PR is far more important than most people give it credit for, because it's important yeah. to send the right messages. Yeah. Anyways, I mean, it's an unfortunate series of events for him, but he, at the end of the day, he's 100 percent responsible for it. So, um, anyway, so yeah, so potentially you feel like that they kind of saw the writing on the wall, exited him. If if that were the case, though, obviously, if they're really worried about the election they would have dropped the axe as opposed to letting him resign. And that's really, I think that was an important, I mean, everyone knows that they dropped the axe. Yeah. But publicly dropping the axe would have probably been more beneficial for the, the team. I think, yeah. I mean, I mean, what you're saying is, is true and fair and valid and potentially true, accurate. Don't know. Um, I think that it's not that Labour would be worried about the election. Two things are going to happen. If Labour gets a 50% majority, the Greens are in trouble. Right, because they will be taking some of the votes from the Greens. If Labor doesn't get a fifty percent majority, then they're going to desperately need the Greens to get over that threshold. I don't think Winston's going to be there after this election. Um, so there's this strange kind of middle ground, which I think so often is in life, where where it's an all or nothing. It's almost like you. I think if if you're Labor, you want them to get forty five percent and the Greens to get ten. Or you want them to get 52% and screw everyone else and whoever gets it. And maybe what they saw was in the in the numbers something in between what you've said and what I've said, which is maybe they've come out at that kind of high 40s and the Greens haven't come out all that well and they've gone, crap, Greens aren't going to get there. We have to get to 52%. So any little change we can make now, which will help us in the in the polls and in the public perception, we should do. Um, because, yeah, I think the Greens, if, uh, the Greens could be in trouble and it's not because the Greens are warranting of being in trouble. It's just because Labor's so important at the moment, or so popular at the moment, I guess. So it's going to be. A re- that's why I'm saying I'm really interested in this election as to what happens. Yeah, we we work. The company I have now works really heavily in purpose-led initiatives, and one big, you know, question will be how front of mind will Im- the environment be in by September? You yeah, because obviously, if you if you'd ask people, it was probably like less than 5% during lockdown. Everything was about family, health, safety, job, you know, future income. Yep. And it will slowly come back to the forefront. Um, but, you know, potentially, and again, I don't have enough of a background understanding. I, I feel like Green's releasing policy now. That was a mistake, releasing any policy this early because people are still, you know, being made redundant. There's a whole bunch of things that, that, that are way further in, in the front of mind than than um than the environment which is a which is a real shame obviously but yeah yeah it's it, it's my as a michael baker isn't it michael baker the otago university academic who's been very oh, yes. very large in the in the covid conversation just this morning purely by chance what you're bringing up he was on democracy now us television show and yeah. he talked about um we're all folk. I'm paraphrasing badly because I listened to it and I heard it once, right? But he basically was saying COVID is really bad. It's a worldwide pandemic. But once we get through this, 
climate change is still going to be there. And that's bigger and will continue to be a bigger issue for the world, you know, for the forthcoming, for the future. So I think that, um, I'm hopefully not unfairly paraphrasing him. If I am, I apologise, but I, I, I'll look that up um, later and post a retraction if I'm wrong. But that was the summation of what I heard them talking yeah. about on it. And But I think the, 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 the stat is correct, though, as well. You know, like once, once COVID is sorted out, whatever that means, whether that means we live with it forever or whether that means it's gone and we've got a vaccine, climate change and what's happening with the planet is still going to be here so people like the greens have been very important uh, integral you would say in that conversation over the past 15 to 20 years oh no absolutely and i'm not diminishing at all um what they are doing and how they're doing it the the big question to me is the timing of the messaging yeah yeah, yeah. and what what's if and again not that anyone in the green party is going to take my advice but it's that idea of like how do you build up like, how do you build up a strategy that delivers that when people are ready to hear that, when they've got some sense of surety? Otherwise, you're going to deliver it and, and potentially, you know, deliver it at a time when someone's just found out they're redundant and they're like, it's just not going to, it's not going to resonate with them. They're this, just going to go, I just need the job back, not right now. And this timing thing is essential. I mean, if the election had been a month ago, Labor would have romped in with 60%. Because the timing for their polls was massive right around the time when, you know, and I don't, and I say this in a, um, uh, what's the word, not in a mocking way, but kind of in a, you know, in a grateful way. But, you know, St. Jacinda saved the, saved us all and kept us all safe sort of thing. They, they would have romped in. So the question will be in three months from now, kind of based on what you're saying, when is the right time to get that timing upswing of, of your message through to that last day? Uh, I remember uh, it was probably the one in the middle of the first decade of the century when Don Brash became leader of National, and he did that speech in Oiwa, that famously racist speech in Oiwa. <laughs> but his poll numbers went through the roof, and they actually overtook Labour. But it was like six months out from the election, and just slowly they came down and down and down and down and down, and, down, and they ended up losing again. So timing is everything for that messaging. I mean, you you watch, and again, not an expert here, but it really does look like the DNC is they're holding Biden back. If he could just disappear for the next three months, yep. Trump will make the bed. They don't need to say a thing. Like literally, just don't do anything. Yep. Um, because at the moment, it's hard for anyone to look like truly incredible for Jacinda to look good through this. Because if you look around the world, very few leaders um, are going to come out of this. Very few incumbents will come out of this. Uh, looking okay yeah there is you know look look at what's happening in australia right now i doubt that any of those whether they're the state governments or um or or morrison himself i'd be afraid for like what's going to happen for them over there as well yeah whereas i think it's as you've just alluded it's a a reverse for jacinda at the moment but i will say again the only thing is if they don't get the first ever majority in mmp they better pray that the that the Greens get through. The last poll I saw, the Greens run 5.2, and that's concerning for the Greens. And the, I had Marama on in this during lockdown period. She's been on twice. So um, when you say the Greens won't be watching, Marama watches. She might be. Um, so say, no, I said they wouldn't be paying attention uh, to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked her the question, why don't you guys do a deal? You know, like, like Act and National play the game well. You may not like it, but they play the game well. Why don't you do a deal? Why don't you find a, a, a safe Labour seat? Uh, like, for example, Claire Curran was leading, leaving Dunedin South um, and put in a, a, a Green MP there, and she basically said our people would rebel against it. 
where our people, meaning the people who support the Greens, have an ethos and an ideology where they don't want to do those backroom deals and they'd rather lose than do a deal. And you kind of got to you kind of got to go well. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna stand by uh, your, you know, if you're gonna live by your standards, then more power to you, and and good luck with you, so to speak. Yeah, I'm gonna ten year paraphrase now. It was like the last day of Russell Norman's um, tenure. I, I ended up at lunch with him, and I was kind of talking to him about this, and he was talking about, um, you know, just the ethos and how it's about dragging an entire system with your principles. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna do he'd do a much better job in this, but. If you continue to have these principles, you're going to drag the whole system across. And that national, the national of 1975 would shit themselves if they saw the national of 2020 because the Greens have dragged everyone. And you can only drag them if you stick to your guns. Yeah. So that's that idea of dragging, literally dragging their policy, not necessarily even being in government. So it, it makes sense. And it's, you know, if you look back in the last 20 years, I think it's worked. But then again, I guess the counterpoint to that is not to disagree, is that if you're not in the tent and you're on the outside throwing stones, you're probably going to be less effective. So there's got to be some kind of at least co- at least conversation. Point? Well, I, I I think if you're not sitting at the seat of power, it's more difficult to get to affect change. It's not impossible. I mean, look what's happened in America at the moment with street marches. You know, there are there yeah. is governmental changes going on because of people in the street protesting the murder of George Floyd. That is causing a change. But in, but that is, I'm not saying that's new. Historically, that's happened a lot. But in recent times, uh, the best way it would seem to get a change or to get a, a policy through or an influence on policy is to be sitting next to the policymakers as opposed to looking for an appointment to speak to the policymakers. Yeah, no, I hear that. I'm going to, sometimes I'll come up with ideas off the top of my head that aren't at all thought out. But, Again, I think there's two ways to affect change. You can affect change um, by being in government, or you can win hearts and minds. Yep. And and again, I guess their point there was the only way to win hearts and minds is through not compromising. There was, obviously there was this piece, and I don't know if someone will get this up and running. It's just too short a run. Um, this, this kind of blue-green party that started to kind of form... Mm. Um, that would have been really interesting. I think would have made for a really interesting election, but unfortunately they just didn't have the right people in place. You familiar with this? Um, what was their name? What was the name of the party? The blue. I mean, that's a bad sign, but they, they have imploded since. I think the CEO kind of stepped down. It's not the opportunity. It's not top, was it? The Opportunities Party? No, not top. Not top. It was the one with, um, I mean, we don't sound like experts now, do we? They kind of formed, there was a, a bunch of people, but God, I can't even remember the bloody, the guys now. Anyways, long story short, this shows the abject failure. It's, it is absolutely begging to be created. Now, it would be a nightmare for Greens, I think, but um, a t- like a teal party is begging to be created because I, and this is, again, ideas that aren't fully formed, I think that the Labour, like the idea of Labour versus Capital, which were the defining characters of 20th century politics are done. I don't think I don't think you could name very many people that still work in factories. Almost everyone that you you know, certainly the large part of the voting public, has an aspiration to be the boss themselves. Mm-hmm. And has built out this pathway, and so those kind of adversarial roles of labour versus capital, although they are bloody important and we need to do a better job, are now it's now shifted far closer to other battle lines along environment and you can be absolutely pro capital and pro environment yeah and that's 
that in my mind is is years ago i was i talked to when jacinda was kind of coming through i talked to a lot of a lot of politicians about this idea that we need to reform where those battle lines are because at the moment it's just bloody confusing i think i guess i i'm i'm I think that uh, that a, a centrist party could happen and work in New Zealand. I mean, basically the Māori Party and uh, New Zealand First sit in that centre-ish area. Um, I wonder about taking away from either National or or Labour, in other words, because that's where you'd have to get your constituency from people who are already voters. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I, th- I think about that in the American context and I go, obviously, 80%, 70%, 60% of people kind of sit in that centrist area, centre, centre left, centre right. And then there's, you know, 20% on either end that are the um, far left, far right kind of people. And in all sort of um, political, in all countries, that, that sort of thing happens. I wonder there's also this perception is reality. I, I wonder if, it was like when More FM started, right? Like way back in the day, they surveyed the audience and they said, what kind of music do you want to hear? I guess I'm, I should be careful in saying this is my understanding in case it's a bit wrong, but it, but it makes a point. More FM started and what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? So they surveyed, did a lot of work on and it was middle of the road. And so they came out talking about and 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 planning music for middle of the road. And their whole audience went, oh, yuck, no, we don't want to be middle of the road. That's not us. We're not middle of the road. So what they are and what they um, perhaps identify as is something very different. I made this uh, product once called Elephant TV. Elephant TV, I produced it and presented it. It was a kind of a debate show, and it was aimed that churches could actually start talking about some of the difficult issues that they are disagreeing with. And I love being the dumbest man in the room. It's my favorite thing in the world to be the dumbest person in the room. I got together theologians and ministers and you know, academics and all these people, sat in the room with them and talked about this idea of what to do and what to get. And it was, you know, we have these people talking about how a church person, a Christian person should approach war. And these people are pacifists and these people are just war people. And how do we have this conversation, etc. And whatever the topic was. And then when I made it and put it out there, a whole bunch of people went, oh, no, no, we'd never put that in front of our people. Because they have a perception of wanting to be open and honest and have healthy conversations. But then when you give them their opportunity to actually do it, they go, no, nah, don't want to do that. So when we talk about a centrist party, I, won- I wonder, and this is just me wondering, if we all go, oh, you know, we all sit in the centre, but given the opportunity to be that kind of dull, boring centrist, we'll all go, oh, no, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a dull, boring centrist. I'm a, you know, I'm a radical for what I want sort of thing. I don't know. Just some random thoughts. I mean, not, not, I mean, New Zealand's egalitarian nature means that people probably would say they're centrist but not be centrist. But I'm, I'm going to challenge, where I'm challenging is the notion of centrist mm. because you're still, we're still discussing centrist in terms of welfare versus uh, like less taxation um, or again, capital versus labor. And I totally like a huge amount of people I know are. Uh, small government mm-hmm. but that government any government we have is aimed at towards protecting the environment so they they they're passionate about that they're on the far edges of environmentalism but also on the far edges of uh, i don't want to say no they're probably still sitting in a neoliberal camp in some respects they're saying fantastic their social policies perhaps sit on one side but their environmental policies sit on the other uh, and so assuming that you can't be in those two camps, you know, so, a social uh, a social conservative but an environmental liberal, yeah, 
if that's that's the right term, is assuming that that can't happen is, I think, a massive mistake. And it's something that, for instance, and that's actually the start of that conversation I had with Russell Norman, because being a part of the Green Party, it's a it's an actual, it's a brand, global brand, yep. means that you have to embrace both social and the environmental mm-hmm. um, agendas. Now, that could be a, 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 that potentially misunderstands that there's a huge movement out there now that is, is, is keen on the environmental agenda, but not the social agenda. Now, there's no way the Greens can move away from that. That's just, that's you want to call yourself. Yeah. That's and interesting. So, so the, the idea of a, the idea of an environmental party that is socially conservative as in potentially has reduced, reduced welfare, mm. less taxation, incentivizes um, probably environmentally friendly businesses with tax reduction, all of these kind of things, that's, that's totally doable. And if you think about the leading e- economic, I guess, um, entities right now, most of them are headed by people that would, that would, um, I guess, sit on that, whether it's massive brands like Unilever or even Musk, Zuckerberg, Bezos, well, to a degree. Yeah. No, that's... Rand over. That, that's interesting because actually it, I I like I consume podcasts in America and I news feeds all the time. Like before I you know sent the invite through to you, I was watching a, a debate from... Uh, Politicon last year. I was just sitting here enjoying watching it. Um, And that idea about being kind of left, if you want to say it, on environmental issues, but centrist or centre-right or whatever on some other issues, it does seem to be an uncomfortable definition because you're right. If If you're involved with the Greens, you kind of have to be left both ways. Don't have to be, but that seems to be the be the what you are whereas there seems seems to be a growing conversation in america and i'm thinking about several podcasters and podcasting that i listen to and even examples of like i mean i've just been re-researching uh the brett weinstein evergreen college situation from two or three years ago because i have asked him to come on my podcast where he was he refused to go home for the day of absence and he is a massive lefty he's incredibly left-wing with most of his you know policies and ideas and voting record but you know that classic thing about university um campus kind of agenda not agendas but uh positions of if you don't agree with us fully then you're a nazi whereas a lot of the world is born nuanced and goes i'm massive i mean that'd be me for example i'm i've got a huge number of left-wing positions but there are some things that I think the woke left is getting incredibly wrong and actually detrimental and harming the overall thing they're trying to achieve by pushing through stuff that's nonsensical and doesn't make sense. And so I don't really fit anywhere, which is why I kind of say I'm a bit of a swing voter. It's not necessarily that I'm a swing voter. I said I don't align myself yeah, perfectly think. perfectly with anyone because I can't get on board with yeah. everything of it that anyone does. Yeah, and I, I t- and my gut feel is it's because we are we have inherited you know twentieth early twentieth century um, political parties you know nineteen nineteen and nineteen thirty three whenever those two parties were formed wherever they you know those those parties were formed when people you know a significant part of the country worked on farms and factories and um, and well before we understood the environmental impact, like again, you've, you've, you've indicated environment is everything for a lot of people now. 
And mm-hmm. so this idea that you suddenly have to, you can, the only party you can vote for that has an environmental, a, a strong environmental agenda, you also have to buy this whole package. Yeah. To me, seems probably a little bit kind of 19, 1980s, 90s, 2000s. That made total sense then. Probably doesn't now, now when, like, if you don't believe, like there's literally 5% of the planet that doesn't believe in climate change. Yeah. So assuming that, it's the ninety-five percent of them have to vote for one party that also happens to have these other packages is nuts. Yeah, but I guess that's the same for every party. I mean, there's not. Go- I mean, unless you're one of these either end twenty percent of the left and right, where you're just on board. I mean, unless you're a Trump supporter who refuses to wear a mask because you're going to die from it, and liberty is justice, guns, God, glory, all that kind of stuff. Um, it seems that most of us in the middle are going to. I was going to use the word settle. It sounds so defeatist, but settle for a party that we aren't going to be fully able to align ourselves with on everything. So we kind of go, well, I mostly align with Labour, so I'm going to vote for them, or I mostly align with National, so I'm going to vote for them. Um, I guess that's going to kind of be how it has to be because the other option is there's 120 independent MPs and government and that's not ever going to happen because you're always going to get tribes being made out of those yeah. 120 yeah. listen i you've got i've probably got the wrong guy I, listen i'm fascinated i'm probably the wrong guy to try to solve this but um just saying that i believe that you know we could progress environmental um legislation a lot faster if it's set on both sides of the aisle so like this idea that it's yeah, anyways I'm, it is, I'm probably also arguing against myself it is interesting to hear todd um, muller talking about the relationship he's got with James Shaw and how much he respects him because they've done some environmental stuff together. So, you know, you think about when the Greens first got into power in the 90s, could you imagine Sue Bradford sitting down with a, I don't know, who was the leader of the National Party in the 90s, um, whoever it was, and, and working on policy together on environment? It just I just can't imagine it. So, so there has obviously been, like you're saying, there's been a movement to the left from the right for those sorts of things, but maybe because it's a reality... As you say, ninety-five percent of the population agree with it. That those is op- that it's op- those opportunities. Listen, if, if, if you are out there, any of the Greens, Manama, or anyone watching, ninety-five percent of those voters have beachfront property. That's why they're so worried. Yeah. If you want to hit a, a trigger, you know, a trigger. So that that's why I, talk, I guarantee Todd's uh, house is at risk. So he's a, he lives he lives near the beach. Um, but I, whether it's that that starts to worry them, um, like I said, very few, very few people are worried about the environment. So um, we hope that there's there's a whole heap of it on the election agenda this year. Um, I want to ask you about one of the businesses you're involved with. We are tending. Can we talk a bit about that? Sure. Are we, are we allowed to? Sure. My my political ramblings to send everyone away. No, because we... actually, because actually this is something that I'm interested in because I, this has got a follow up question based on a news story that's come out the other day. This appears that you guys this is this is your company, yeah, part part owner in your oh, company, yeah. and you're yeah. a you kind of are a brand partnership and rugby management and content creators and I mean for want of a better word, is it kind of like you're kind of like an agent for these people? Is that is that kind of what you do? Yeah. Yeah, so we started when, when John Olamu and Jerry Collins passed away, two kind of really, you know, iconic Kiwis who passed away with literally with nothing. And, you know, we're doing Derek Hanley, who some of your listeners might be uh, familiar with. He's really passionate about purpose, and I've known Derek for a long time. Um, and I talked, we actually, he set up a, a give a little for, for um, Jerry's family. And we kind of thought it's just insane that these iconic, exceptional Kiwis 
end up don't getting any real support in and around them to help them kind of make the most of the platform that they have. Yeah. And for Jerry and Jonah, that was rugby. And so we built out a kind of a holistic management company that has built in financial services, helps people find a purpose while they're kind of growing in this, in this kind of, while they're they're playing rugby, but we're trying to find them a purpose beyond that. Um, So that'll help in their post-sport transition. What do you mean find them a purpose? What does that mean? Explain find them a purpose. Well, so, you know, the hardest is, I wrote an article, and you can look it up, called Athletes Die Twice. And for athletes or anyone that's kind of in this zone of kind of, you're in the surging um, business, uh, uh, your retirement is often not at your, you know, 30% of athletes um, who retire in a year, it's because of due to injury. Most of them have no idea that they're going to retire that year, so they haven't planned for it. Yep. But if you can imagine, if you were a rugby player, we'll use rugby players as an example, for 15 plus years, every single day of every week, you have everything mapped down. When someone says, what are you up to? You'll be saying, listen, we've got the game this weekend. We've been putting in these kind of this effort to kind of get there. And win, lose, or draw, you go into battle with your brothers or sisters and, um, and you know, you come out of it and then you're, you're on to the next thing. And so for so many of these um, people, one day that's ripped, the cup, the rug's just ripped out from underneath them. They're injured or their form goes and it's done. And so that that dinner party, like three weeks later, is incredibly awkward. What are you doing now? That question becomes like a you know a hammer blow. And so what we've tried to do is well before anyone finishes whatever journey they're on, whether it's they're an Olympian or a musician or a rugby player or a content creator, we've tried to create some purpose that's much larger than that. And so if you can imagine, say, Jess Quinn, who was a young girl that you were looking at there, or, or any of these folks, um, you can try to build a purpose beyond what they're doing. Jess is this 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 young lady here with the who lost her leg to cancer at, at nine. So Jess has a hundred and eighty odd thousand people on Instagram that follow her, and she could just be a kind of a vapid Instagram kind of person, but instead she's got a purpose to help people overcome adversity and insecurity. We've worked really hard with her defining that. Yeah. Um, she speaks about it. She she constantly talks about. She communicates globally about it she's writing a book on it and that becomes something that's much bigger than her instagram following but we're also able to then partner her with um organizations that are interested in the same thing so if you look at someone like dove or she just she just as an example after a bit of work and it's a great story kiwi company ben don has come back to new zealand they're headquartered out of new zealand now and they just dropped heidi klum and they replaced her with jess quinn so wow. they replaced her with a Kiwi girl who at nine could never have imagined that she would be um, the face of Bend On here in New Zealand. There you go. And so and there it is right you there. Know, it's, just, it's just really amazing for um, potentially people that have different bodies around the world. She's kind of a, a leader in this idea of like that, that, that difference in your body is, um, is just you, who you are. Be proud, be excited. Uh, you know, grasp it. So we've got around uh, over a hundred of these exceptional Kiwis now, whether or not they're like golfers or rugby players, artists, Instagrammers, um, presenters, athletes. And we, some of them are environmentally focused. Some of them are socially focused. Um, Brad Smaler is amazing. The one you just went over was the world champion. Wakeboarder is now um, a quadriplegic, but is just working really hard on changing the way that we, um, look at 
the context of our lives and talking about gratitude. As an example, we're making a movie with Brad right now. He's taken up free diving. So he's a quadriplegic. Yeah. But he found that he could hold his breath for a long time and he's got a fair bit of time to kind of, although he is writing a book letter by letter with a a tool that he types letter by letter. He's he's writing a 270,000 word draft right now. Um, But anyway, so he took up free diving, taught himself how to hold his breath. He can hold his breath for over six minutes now. Um, And then I can't show you any of this now, but I'll show you later. And if anyone's interested in getting behind, it's an incredible story. Mm -hmm. They just dropped him into like a 48 foot deep cenote in Florida just before COVID, Um, you know, and he's free, he's free diving, like no oxygen, just holding his breath. And it's incredible. Anyway, so that's, that's what I'm doing now. And the hope is that we can move the dial on some serious issues by helping people that have these platforms you know, our clients talk to 11 million people. More people watch their Instagram stories than will watch TV3, 6 p.m. news tonight. Every yeah, yeah. Day. And so can they move the dial on environment on social um, issues? So this is uh, – you're helping them as well, especially the sports athletes. Um, I mean, if, we, if we're blunt, have an income, helping them with their income, helping them have money coming out at the end of their career, helping them move beyond uh, a rugby career into a – professional career using their profile and those people like the social influencers as they say who have profile you're connecting them with brands and helping them generate an yeah. income as well is that is that kind of all it's based around as well connecting connecting profile people on your books with uh financial opportunities and opportunities in general yeah i mean let's so if we want to change the world we want to fix significant change and i don't know if you know maslow's hierarchy the pyramid mm-hmm. so you know at the very top of this, this is them having the kind of the ability to affect change and reach a higher state. But if you don't have that security in the bottom, which for a lot of these folks is financial security, if that's not in place, then it's pretty hard to think about how you're going to kind of affect change. And if you look at someone like, we've got an incredible young lady on there, Jazz Thornton, who is, you know, at 25, um, she's got a, a, just won the Voyager Awards for her web series, She's nominated for, there we go, Maslow's Hierarchy. Then she's got a, a, a nominated, her book has just been nominated for a prize. She's got a film coming out. Um, she has no real safety net. She's uh, advocating for, or she's desperately trying to change the way that we look at suicide in, in New Zealand and around the world. She mm. spoke at the UNG Assembly, et cetera. Um, but we've got to find brands that support that mission because she doesn't have a safety net. And so we need to find brands that are support, wanting to support her so she can go into schools, so she can tell her story. And so that's what we do. We've got a team of eight and they spend all day trying to connect these exceptional people to brands that are interested in the same kind of mission outcomes. So it sounds like you're using words like exceptional people. Um, it sounds like the people you work with are more than just people with profile. Do they need to have, you know, like do they need to be doing extraordinary things as well? Well, I mean, if you've got a purpose, that's an extraordinary thing. And if you've got, and if you're acting on trying to achieve that purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we might have people that are, I mean, there are, most of them have a, a platform or a, or a profile. It helps. It really helps us to establish um, this kind of pathway for them. If there's five, 10,000, 15, 20,000 people that are listening specifically to them. Yep. So it's great for them to have a social platform. It helps if they have a story that helps us get their media coverage. So if you're Jazz Thornton and, you know, she tried to take her life 16 times, then she took control. 
she wrote a, an incredible book called uh, about stopping uh, survive, just surviving and starting fighting. Um, and so all of those things do make them exceptional, mm-hmm. but anyone can get there, I guess, given finding your purpose and then executing it. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, just because, I mean, like the word social influencer is is out and about at the moment. <laughs> have you seen the story? Have you seen the story today about, first of all, Simone Anderson, is she one of yours? No. Have you seen the story about what's happened with her today? Uh, is this yesterday, the ASA? Yeah, so Simone Anderson is an influencer uh, who basically has been has been using their Facebook presence to generate income. Cool. That's what we. That's oh, yeah. what people do. No problems, but because she hadn't identified some of the things she was wearing as having a business relationship with her, there's been an advertising complaint upheld about it. And I was thinking, I mean, a couple of things. Maybe when you're in the kind of media industry, you, you're a little bit, you become a little bit arrogant. But I was like, who doesn't know that if someone on a platform is saying, "Look at these amazing pants," that's a business. Arrangement. I mean, it's so much so that when you hear someone like Joe Rogan prom- promoting something that's not paid for, he actually says, "We're not getting any money for this. I just like this product." And I think yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that everybody knows that that if someone says, "Look at these pants," and they're only this much, then that's an advert. I don't. I, I, was, I guess I was kind of. You seem you're a bit of an expert in this. You kind of work with influencers. Where's yeah. the, Where's the line? I mean, that that seems fine to me that someone can do that on yeah. their Instagram, but advertising standards has said, unless you identify this as an advert, that's against our rules. Don't get it. Well, I fit, I fit into the drafting of the regulation. And so I've, I've kind of been in it deep for a while. And the ASA team are awesome. They're trying to write, they're, they're walking a tightrope. So this particular regulation was actually written for Stuff and Herald online. And it was specifically because Herald and Stuff were... Um, or it was traditional media, were rolling out these kind of promotions that were disguised as editorial. Like native, it, na- native advertising. People call it native advertising. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, that's right. it's an article that's written, but, people, uh, but, but it's actually an advert. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and, and again, God, if you're, again, talking about just like our slow, slow or rapid slide into kind of like <laughs> disaster, the, the lack of journalists and the, the um, how how many if you look at the journalist versus pr kind of enrollments every year you see where we're heading with this but a lot of companies now yeah they just write a press release that's copy and paste straight into an article and yeah. so the asa has been kind of trying to battle this this line between journalism and um and pr and they're creating regulations that fit both online media where you're expected to be a journalist i think far more so, right. and then social influences where we're still trying to feel everything out. And Simone is a firstly, wonderful person, really lovely person who's, you know, done, a, I think, a great job in growing a following. Um, and she is, at the moment, uh, she's just the first person to be tested on this in a serious way. And I think even the ASA, I think they maybe even have admitted that we just need to be better with our communications. Um if you do follow her, it would be insane to think that you don't think that she has gotten those things for free and that um, her writing gifted is definitely like, it's a gray area. So, um, you know, my, my gut feel is that we're learning through all of this. I don't think there's been any significant harm done. Um, and 
Uh, I think it's good. It's it's great to have public discourse, and we need to build more trust into the industry. It, you know, content has now become democratized, Pat. So you know, we're a part of it right now in a podcast. Yep. Um, everything has changed so much in the last five years that, and we live in this world that was kind of built for you know a couple of channels or a couple of stations. And that's just not the case anymore. Yep. There are hundreds of thousands of content creators in New Zealand with more than 5,000 followers and those people are watching them. And so it's, it's a pretty sh- a shifting landscape. Yeah, totally. Wait till, listen, wait, 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 wait less than a month till you see what happens on Instagram. I had a meeting with them today. I, I'm sure I can say that. Um, they are rolling out retail and it is going to shift and shift the whole landscape. So you will be able to buy anything that anyone is wearing online that that has a retail relationship. So it'll, it'll be so massive. Simone Anderson is going to become one of the largest stores in the country. Mm-hmm. And you know, anyways, that's interesting. Is that any reason you think that they tested her? If she, if she's going to, if she's about to explode, is it like if she was too big, they might have to stay away, but now's a good time to, to test using her as a test case. We're in, we're in a world now where, so there's just, there's a number of, content creators that are kind of um, potentially kind of calling each other out now and just trying to find the lines. And so she was called out by some content creators, some other content creators, and they, they felt like she wasn't playing by the rules that they were. And so that's, she specifically got targeted and, you know, um, for better or for worse, there's, there's, you know, various, um, you know, social media is a mechanism that where you can get a pile on going on. And she definitely, was a victim of a social media pylon. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm just reading one of the lines out of this article. It said, Simone Anderson didn't make it clear enough that she was benefiting from her posts, the ASA said. I just, I, I guess I kind of go, well, if, that's like saying, TV3 wasn't quite clear enough that those adverts they had were paying for the program you're watching. I'm just like, fuck off. It just, it just doesn't make well, sense to me. I mean, the fine line is this, is that the block definitely... Um, blurs the line here on gifted, not gifted, yep. paid promotion. I mean, we've watched, you know, the fact that, for instance, that Sky, when it plays back to the future, doesn't disclose that Pepsi was a massive contributor to that movie, you know. I mean, that's insane. We just know that when Michael J. Fox says, I want a Pepsi, that's so, like, we're, we're not idiots, right? Yeah, yeah. But Sky doesn't need to disclose that. And when, 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 Mark Richardson walks in on into the block. We know the block has paid for the TV show. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of gray area. And I want to reiterate, like the ASA, the team they have there are just awesome humans. In fact, they've like, revived my faith in those kind of regulatory bodies because they're really open to change. And they're just kind of navigating it right now. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I think that um, what I enjoyed about, I mean, it sounds really unprofessional, but I never do a massive amount of research before a podcast because I like it to be sort of free-flowing and that sort of stuff. I like just to be able to chat. I always say it's like we're having a beer at the pub, you know, we're just going to meet and have a chat sort of thing. I don't know whether that's a good idea or it's just evidence of my laziness, whichever one, I don't, don't know which it is. Um, but in, 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 yeah, looking around at what you're doing and stuff, it, it just seems really interesting. It's a, it's it's. I think it's good to do what you're doing as well, for you guys because any one individual in New Zealand 
for a New Zealand audience, not that these guys necessarily are, it's difficult to get big enough to monetize yourself. I know that speaking from experience, but a group of content creators together, all of a sudden there's 10 million downloads rather than just a million and much easier to kind of get some of the international brands on board to, to divvy up yeah. amongst others. So yeah, I get it. We have a we have like people making good good money out of this now, and I think that's listen. Don't expect any favors from NZME or MediaWorks yeah. or any of the traditional stuff for these these distributed platforms as well, and and podcasts and Instagram because they're taking views away. Um, yeah, indeed. Yep, I just said to someone the other day, um, like I've had. I've had some approach and I have approached some potential media partners for what I'm doing here, but I just made it really clear to some of the day, you are never going to own my content. I don't give a shit what no. you want or what you say. I'm happy to talk to you about, you know, having platforms use it and play it, but you are never going to own my content. It still guts me to this day, and I'm not even to do with it, that those boys from Seven Days, when they put together that program and they came up with the concept in this house, had to give the concept to MediaWorks. So MediaWorks owns the concept for Seven Days, um, and not the guys, the, the the main features in that show who actually made up the show. So in other words, if they were to want to go elsewhere, they couldn't take that show with them. I just think that's repulsive. So own your own content, people. If you're making stuff, keep keep ownership of it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You, yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. I definitely hear that. I think that was more of a collaboration, though. I was in and around that then. Are you sure... Um, I remember John McDonald. I remember John McDonald pitching that show to me prior. Uh, listen, that's, don't disagree with the podcaster on his podcast. No, no, no. That's the thing. I like being the dumbest person in the room. It always makes for good, entertaining broadcasting. I, I had, just remember John. Okay, well, I, I, know, I, won't, I, tried to I, I won't mention names um, because that would be unfair. But I know <laughs> I've had a, I've had multiple conversations with people involved with that show, on-screen talent, when I asked them, "Do you own it?" and they said, "No, we had to give it to MediaWorks." So, uh, yeah, so I, I would love to hear back. I'd love to hear. My gut feel was it was fleshed out, and I bet you they had IP they delivered into it. But I, I, I remember clear as day standing in, and because I was at TV3 then with and John McDonald, who was kind of hitting that up clear as day, that John was kind of rolling the show around. At that point in time, though, he may have had enough input. He also wouldn't have told me very much because I wanted to be on it and I was dead shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, yeah, but I totally hear that. And I would always tell everybody um, in terms of IP, just make sure you kind of like keep things close to your chest. It's, a, it's the same in the radio industry. When you sign people who don't, well, no, this, this is talking outside of school now, but I don't work there anymore. You sign a contract on a radio um, for a radio company. Sure. It says that they own anything you produce while you're there. So in other words, if you come up with some amazing, you know, song or whatever it is for a bit, then that radio station owns it. And I remember having arguments with management saying, well, actually, I'm bringing stuff with me that I've actually created yeah. previously. So you're not going to own that. And actually having to get it written into the contract, what sure. they could own and what they couldn't own. Because yeah. it's, it's yeah, just own your own stuff. Own your own stuff. It's It's just a... I, I I wouldn't give my stuff away to anyone. I'd rather I'd rather earn less or make less if it's a better word, owning my own stuff and I'm controlling my own future than making more temporarily until the next fucking COVID hits and then, you know, seven days gets cancelled from twenty six shows to ten shows. I know that's what I'd rather. I'd rather earn a bit less and own it than earn more 
with that hanging over your head all the time. It's terrifying. Or, or maybe yeah. people need to find people like you and secure incomes elsewhere. That's what I tell all my friends in the media to do now. I'm like, get something going on the side. Get a get a side hustle going side on. Hustle. Get something going that if, if things fall over in there, you've got something out. Even if it doesn't replace your income, it doesn't leave you in the queue for uh, you know for unemployment. Just something. Don't be reliant on one egg because what happens when that egg gets cracked is you are fucked. I always want. You always have to have a side hustle, and you always have to be willing to tell people about it. Yeah. On that note, I've got a segue. It's my that's my uncomfortable segue. All right. So for people listening around the regions. I've got a new project right now that is um, designed to help regional tourism and specifically specifically hospitality. It's called On the House, and um, this is a really simple idea where uh, there you know there are tens of thousands of um, holiday homeowners around the country that have these underutilized batches, and we're having them convert some of those into donated weekends. Uh, people go and rent the batch at full price. We go, unfortunately, we take, go straight through the site. There you go, on the house.nz. And effectively, um, you can, so when people rent the house, uh, the donated house, 95% of the rental money comes back and vouchers for local restaurants and um, uh, experiences. So the person renting it gets this awesome, like, like that was Waiheke. We had 80 houses in the first weekend, generated around $200,000 for the local economy in the weekend. Um, the homeowners that donated their houses, it was a great way to th- say thanks to a bunch of restaurants and experiences that they're close to. And the people that um, people that came and enjoyed the weekend had a, a ball of a time. Restaurants were pumping. So if you're out there in the regions, we're looking for our next spots. So you can go to onthehouse.nz uh, and if you're in um, the wire wrapper or Napier. Or- I, I, I feel a Central Otago vibe coming on here. Central Otago would be, God, that would be awesome. Not Mount Difficulty. We won't be going to Mount Difficulty. We won't be doing anything with those so guys just, anymore. So just but, ex, just explain this to me again. So I've just pulled up this one purely because it was yeah. it's called Elephant Junction Elephant Pod. For people who are listening, we're looking at the website right now on the house.nz. So this mm-hmm. was going to be five hundred bucks for two nights. I yeah. I say yep, I want that if I could have got it, and I pay the five hundred bucks. Where does my five hundred bucks yeah. go? Well, they, they pay for cleaning and like 50 bucks for admin. And then you, you'll get back like $400 in these vouchers. Effectively, it's a card that can only be spent on Waiheke for that weekend. Okay, hang on, pause. And you can go, you... go to any restaurant and use that money. So effectively, the homeowner is donating their house as a thank you to the island. So when you, say you, when you say you get back, I get back. So I give you 500 bucks and then you give me back 400 bucks with the vouchers to go spend at the yeah. local economy. Yeah. Wow, it's awesome! And what people did was they didn't spend four hundred; they spent like yeah, of course, twelve hundred. Yeah, and you know, and so so again, most of these holiday homes are completely unutilized, especially right now in the winter. And so we had, um, like I said, we had eighty put their hand up within twenty four hours on Waikiki that we had to shut it down because it was the most that we could kind of entertain. Um, Seven Sharp did a piece on it. 25,000 people went to the website on the first day. 3,000 people tried to book the 80 homes and then uh, and they sold out in a couple of minutes. And so we've got, we're going to try to get around 250 homes on Waiheke for an upcoming part, like second try at it. But at the same time, the call out is going out there. Name towns, like I'm thinking like smaller towns that have a couple of great like local places in them that really need to help and we'll move it to there. And try to just get this regional tourism kind of pumping 
um, and ensure that, especially like during weekdays, winter weekends, that we can get um, it, the money pumping back into the local economy. I've just, it's too small, but I've, I'm just thinking about that from down this neck of the woods. I've just spent uh, a night up in Naseby and it's not, it's, it's just on the edge of central Otago to do the night sky tour because there's no lights up there. It's amazing. And I was thinking about taking the kids for school holidays next week to uh, Tikapur to do the same sort of thing. There's a, there's a, um, a yeah. spring up there and you can get in the hot spring water after dark and watch the stars sort of thing. So there's, there's, I don't know. I'm thinking about small places because wow. straight away I think about Awamaru, but that's it's a beautiful yeah. place. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Maybe maybe I'll ever think as well. I'll fire you an email. I mean, the biggest part about this right now, there are massive companies, Airbnb, Expedia, Booking.com. They take a thirty up to thirty percent of the money from all everything that we do here in New Zealand is, yeah. is going out to preparing for these big um, external aggregators. My mission, one of the core missions we have at the moment is getting rid of that over the next six months, building out local tourism, um, removing Expedia, Booking.com and, uh, and Airbnb from the mix and just keeping this as local as possible. 30% is huge. So, yeah. So what it means, and I actually did look at this because I think I saw you sent me an invite to come and like the page or something. Um, I did look at this and I looked at, um, you know, I looked at, from the outside, and I was like, "Oh, crumbs! It would be it'd be nice to have some money to go somewhere and spend two thousand dollars and two for two nights." But actually, what I missed, which I think is an important message to get across, is if I give you that two thousand dollars and you give me fifteen, sixteen, seven, oh, there it, is, seven, it says there seventeen thirty. So you give me seventeen yeah, so thirty back in vouchers, and then I go spend it. So actually, the actual accommodation is only costing me two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, that's right. And all it's doing is guaranteeing $1,730 is going to be spread across the local Waiheke economy. You get to find some new cool places. It's, yeah. it's really, really neat. So you can see why it's sold out so fast. But what's incredible is it's incredibly circular. So those Waiheke homeowners um, made this beautiful uh, – sorry, the Waiheke restaurants made this beautiful video thanking the homeowners because it really changed – You know. We can't forget that restaurants um, and experiences, they were shut for over two months. Yeah, yeah. Desperately trying to hold on to their businesses and so many of them, you know, paying out of their pocket to keep their people employed. Yeah. And so it's, it's the least that we can do. And if you do have a batch anywhere out there, um, do let us know and we will start lining it up. We're going to get the whole country on board, list all the batches, so that if you do want to go to Naseby or Oamaru or, you know, anywhere, you can go and use someone's house and be awesome. I think the obvious place to do it is with a batch, and I'm going to fire you an email this afternoon uh, suggesting Wanaka as your next. Because actually, I was thinking Absolutely. Queenstown. It's a bit wealthy. You know, it's not a bit wealthy, but there's mostly live. But actually, Wanaka. Lots of people from, especially this part of the world, have holiday places up in Wanaka. A lot easier to clear your house for two nights if you don't live there than to move yeah. out from your place in Waiheke if you need to get out. So I'll fire you an email. I've got yeah. some ideas for you. We'll we'll chase that one up. That's yeah. great. And just if people, if you do have a house, sorry to drag this out, if you do have a house you don't want to leave, what we had on Waikiki was people with fancy houses rented out two rooms to two friends and that, you know, and then they just got the money and they all went out. So they, yeah. they stayed they stayed in one of their, that person stayed in their house. It was a great excuse for people to come to Waikiki when it was um, buzzing. So yeah, Wanaka, Wanaka is going to be a, um, yep. a, an awesome, an awesome stop for sure. All right, hey, well, uh, Brooke Howard Smith, this has been a lot of fun having a chat with you, sir. I've enjoyed, oh, I've enjoyed so much, the, man. I've enjoyed the roller coaster of chats, uh, and uh, we sold so much. Yeah, <laughs> I think, I, I think the world is a better place post this conversation than it was pre. I think that 
there has been some issues that have been sorted and uh, now we can all move forward in peace, love and harmony, I think. Right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Let's really just say this again. That. If people want to find out about this idea uh, on the house. On the house. Dot NZ. NZ. So not yeah, no .co.nz, right. don't get confused, it's just .nz, on the house.nz. Yeah. Um, I'll put some links on the Facebook page when we put up the up the stories as Love well, it. and, and uh, people can come to our Facebook if they need to find that link as well. Legendary, man. Thank you so much. One hour, 20 minutes. Crumbs, that was, that's gone. Ooh. I thought it was a bit quicker than that, but there you go. This is a bit of a time tardis is this um is this podcast. It you you get in here and it disappears. Uh, Brooke Howard Smith, you're a beautiful man. Uh, keep the beard going. Don't shave it at all. I want to see it in six months' time down to your knees. And um, we'll talk again soon. You have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. All right, team, there you are. Done and dusted. Another Department of Conversation brought to you by Stratus in the bag. As they say, Stratus is the most affordable alternative to smoking. It is a hassle-free, reliable, compact pod kit where what they do in the pods is have a little bit, a small amount, a smidgen of nicotine, which helps stave off those nicotine cravings and helps people get off cigarettes. The whole um, criteria, the whole drive for Stratus is to stop people smoking. Find out more about it at vaporium.nz. And I know I've said this before, but if you're kissing a smoker, you definitely need to go and figure out how to help them stop smoking. And you can do that with Stratus at vaporium.nz. Now, coming up in the next week or so, we have several interesting guests coming up. Hamish Dodd is an interior decorator, a designer, and has... uh, a lot of profile on television doing design work at various iterations and various television shows over the past decade or so. Hamish Dodd will be joining us on Tuesday if you're listening to this uh, in the next couple of days since broadcast. Also announced it before the podcast that our first in real life podcast is happening next week. First in real life since uh, the lockdown is going to be with comedian, superstar and friend of the show. Ben Hurley. Ben Hurley will be joining us uh, Saturday the 11th of July for In Real Life podcast. How crazy does that feel and how crazy will that be? Uh, Also, there is chance of maybe another podcast or two next week. I'm talking with John Hawksby, broadcast legend. He's hopefully going to be coming up as well in the next week, but we're just working out finer details with him as well. I don't often mention people who might be coming up or haven't booked in yet, but Hawksby is an amazing dude with lots of incredible stories from his broadcasting career, so hopefully that will pan out. We'll let you know. But Hamish Dodd definitely on Tuesday, Ben Hurley definitely on Saturday of next week. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to find out more about us, then you can head to www.thedoc.nz. Uh, or if you want to find out what's happening, what's coming up, a really easy way to do it is through the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash D-O-C-N-Z. Hey, you are beautiful people, and thanks for being with us. If you're listening to us on iTunes, a rate and a review would be amazing. But until we see you next time, at our next podcast, hope root. Hey,